Welcome to episode 229 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. So this week, we're going to chat a bit about an interesting piece recently published in the New York Times about the changing public perceptions of tech giants, our favorites being, of course, Google, Amazon, Facebook and Apple, collectively GAFA uh, is the is the buzzword acronym of the moment, and their power in and over our lives. Once seen as maybe techno saviors, they're now seen as maybe threats. Uh, recently, of course, Facebook has run into all kinds of trouble because their uh, tools have been used to undermine the U.S. democratic process. And, you know, as, as a larger part of this discussion, you know, the, the question of, of whether the, the techno utopia we seek, uh, is, is really there or if it's really just another way for, uh, large companies to get their fingers into our collective financial pie. So let's start off with, uh, sort of a angel devil analysis of, of each of our, uh, favorite tech giants. So maybe we'll start with with Google. Uh, you know, on, on the angel side, of course, we have uh, this this wonderful search capability. Uh, you know, and and their mission to catalog all of the world's information. Pretty uh, stout algorithm for doing so, and uh, all kinds of free tools for collaborating with your. Uh, creative partners on everything from writing to slides to what have you, uh, not to mention their ventures into emerging technologies and, and genomics. So um, they've got this uh, wonderful portfolio. And, you know, frankly, there's all kinds of uh, reasons that I use Google on sort of a regular day-to-day -day basis. So, so there's the angel side of Google. Uh, Dirk, you want to do the uh, the devil side, or should I uh, dig into that too? <laughs> well, go go for it. You frame us up, and then then we'll have a conversation. Yeah, uh, on the on the devil side, of course, you have uh, really some of the same things, which is because they're providing us access to the world's information, uh, they're the gatekeeper, right? So the things that show up on the first page of Google, that is everybody's SEO dream, right? So you, you arrive there, um, and whether you arrive there via paying Google money to appear in, in search engine ads, um, or whatever arcane search engine optimization uh, your site might have, uh, the first page of Google is the gate. And if you're not, you know, on that first page or maybe the first couple pages, your traffic's going to drop off precipitously. Um, they have sort of a, uh, a mysterious alchemy for determining uh, what things uh, appear where. And if you've got a business model based on search, uh, you know, you better hope that you stay in their good graces because they can sort of uh, remove you basically from from the Internet. Now, you know, not literally, but if no one can find you, are you really there? Probably not. Uh, additionally, uh, you have, uh, you know, all of, all of this information, whether it's genomic data or uh, uh, sensor data or, or what have you, that's slowly being collected by, by Alphabet, you know, sort of the Google uh, larger company there. And, you know, we're, we're not sure what exactly they're going to do with it. So, uh, you know, ostensibly it's for uh, you know, research and other things, but, you know, people are people. So you have to imagine that, uh, uh, profit motive is also going to be a driving factor, which 
you know, may turn out to be good things or, you know, may not uh, turn out to be so good. So there's my, uh, my angel devil analysis of Google. Um, so for Facebook, I would say, uh, you know, sort of their biggest sin of late, uh, start with the devil side, is that uh, they're monetizing just about everybody's kinds of traffic. So if you want to buy ads, you know, that are uh, racist or, uh, you know, are, are going to drive some sort of hate speech, just, you know, go to Facebook and, and, and you can do that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, that's been well documented uh, in the news, uh, not to mention the, the sort of fake news problem, uh, which if you're getting all of your social media from Facebook and, and your news is being filtered through through Facebook, then it's very likely that you're going to end up with some news that isn't really news at all. Uh, on the plus side, I suppose it's nice to see a photo from someone you knew in high school once that you used to talk to occasionally. I try to avoid Facebook as much as possible. Um, you know, occasionally looking at a photo or something like that, seeing a person's update. But I try to stay away uh, because it feels like a like a uh, a time suck uh, to be voyeurless, voyeuristically sort of looking into other people's lives. So I know that doesn't sound like the angel side of it, but that's actually the side that people go there for to keep in touch with their. Uh, social network, and mm -hmm. I could sort of care less. Um, Apple. Let, let me, let me um, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of any of these companies, but let me give Facebook a little bit more on the angel side. I mean, one of the things that I, I thought was terrific that Facebook started to do was um, to give, to create sort of events around things that are happening and give people the opportunity to um, broadcast that they're okay, basically. You know, like, hey, this thing's going on, and I can say, oh, yeah, you know, you know I live in Houston, for example. The hurricane was here. I'm okay. Everything's everything's good. Like, Facebook has done some nice work around those sort of, um, you know, we'll call them sort of remote communication status updates. Not status as, here's me of a selfie eating a cheeseburger, status as I, I, as of now, continue to survive, even though you out there far away may be wondering, oh, no, what happened to him or her? Yeah. And, you know, there's certainly, uh, um, you know, examples of, of Facebook uh, being used to uh, increase free speech, democratic speech. Um, the Arab Spring, uh, of course, was a moment in the Middle East where there was and a, a lot of discussion about how uh, governments there uh, purport themselves that largely played out on Facebook and Twitter. So um, even though we're seeing sort of the the uh, rotten side of of um, uh, Facebook right now with the uh, recent U.S. election influence, um, there there have been sort of political movements in the past that have benefited or arguably have benefited from that. Amen. Amen. So next on our our list uh, are our our friends at Apple, and we could probably keep this one short because, you know, on the show, we've we've sort of raked Apple over the coals and praised Apple, you know, for for the past, you know, a long eight. time ago, John, it's been a long time yes, since it, we've been praising Apple. So, but regardless, you know, Apple's got all of the uh, that the disruptive tech platform that sort of changed the way we consume information. Um, and, and these days, of course, um, if you've got a thousand bucks, you can get your iPhone X bling. Uh, it feels like, uh, the Armani of, uh, 
um, technology for, for some reason. I mean, I know it's a premium product. Um, it just seems a little bit out of touch to me, uh, both on the design side and just on, you know, sort of where they're, where they're pushing, um, with, with the thousand dollar phones and the, and the, uh, uh, Apple Watch that you can get blinged out uh, with gold just seems a, l- a little oddball to me, but okay. Um, now, John, is it called iPhone X or iPhone 10? What's the right name? Because I don't know, and so I'm wondering if you know for sure. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, let's, let's, let's bungle this together. Yeah. So, so No, it feels like iPhone X because there is no iPhone 9, right? No, there's not. There's an iPhone 8, so you're just skipping 9 and going to yeah. X. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where we are now. Yeah. The branding people at Apple have done it again. So, so the, you know, I too, when I heard, oh, this will be the first thousand dollar smartphone, I was sort of like aghast. Then I realized the iPhone 8 is $800. So it, it, it strikes me that that's just more of a round number that is raising our eyebrows as opposed to really being that super expensive premium of a thing. I mean, it's 25% more expensive, right? That's not that big of a deal. I think they're just adding a zero onto the end of the of the number. So you've got the iPhone eight for you know, <laughs> or two zeros, right? Eight hundred, and then yeah. you got the iPhone ten or X for for a grand. Um, re- regardless, I mean, compared to the price of you know that uh, IBM compatible uh, uh, personal computer that my parents bought for me in high school, right in the in the in the mid eighties or late eighties. Um, you know, that, that was well over a thousand dollars and, and I'm sure the iPhone 10 will, you know, completely, uh, uh, make that, make that look like it's a stone. So, well, so in it, terms it, of value, right, yeah. it's, it, the value is probably there. It still feels like, like an awful lot of money and it's, 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 I don't know, it just rubs me the wrong way. So next on our, uh, and, and, and in our last, um, uh, company to take through the, uh, Angel V Devil uh, outline here are uh, Amazon, and you know I've I've sort of struggled with my impressions of Amazon because I understand as an organization um, they're very um, savage. I think uh, is 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 one word for it. With you know, it strikes me that they've got an awful lot of sort of rough internal competition to provide for their their customers you know sort of the the uh, experience that they do so uh, there was actually a new york times piece on you know sort of exposé on on how sort of backstabbing and uh and culturally uh tough that you know amazon is you know even amongst uh tech companies and and i just know from you know talking to folks who who have worked at amazon that that you know there's some truth there uh, in that piece. Well, and you say even among te- tech companies, I think the fact that it is a tech company is the notable part because their competitors on this list, Google, Apple, and Facebook, are consistently rated among the best places to work. And so it's really um, odd that Amazon is consistently rated very poorly uh, in those those same you know surveys and metrics. Yeah, and so so if if that's what it takes to get you know, what we're getting out of Amazon, you know, that's, that's a tough trade-off. And, and like I said, I, I do struggle with that. Um, you know, when I think about Amazon, I mean, the, the flip side of that is I really do love their service, um, more so than any, you know, service, uh, because I love books so much and, and it's just, Amazon sells books. Oh, they did once and they still sell them to me. Okay. 
And uh, what's a book, buddy? Yeah, the book is that uh, that ancient thing that looks like a tablet that has uh, many beautiful pages, nice topography. I still buy them, and I buy them from Amazon because Amazon just sort of one click, yeah, one click. And, you know, I I buy videos from Amazon. I I grab uh, audiobooks from Audible, which is an Amazon subsidiary. Um, Shoes I, from Zappos, John. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Down so in the rabbit hole we go. Yeah. So there's there's so much. I mean, Amazon is probably one of the services I'm most tied to, and you know there are a couple boxes from Amazon in the recycling bin every week. Uh, you know, so so they've definitely got their hooks in me, and I do love the service. Uh, their internal culture, you know, that that chafes uh, me a little, and. And also, I worry that, uh, you know, when I'm looking at the pricing, now I really have to be careful because there is the sort of um, variable pricing that they that they roll out. You're not necessarily going to get a good price just because you're buying it on Amazon. It will be convenient, um, but watch out. Uh, so, so those are two things, the... Uh, the in, internal machinations and the variable pricing that you just have to keep a sharp eye on lest you spend way more than you intended on products. Um, so the, the reason that we've gone through this dissection of uh, angels and devils and our favorite tech companies is this... Your favorite tech companies. Uh, yes, the, uh, the, the, the market's favorite tech companies, maybe, is that there's a... Uh, uh, the shine is coming off um, of a lot of these big companies that have been uh, economically advantaged in a lot of ways. Are international in breadth, are uh, you know have billions of users, uh, and you know largely this has been enabled by uh, you know a combination of you know favorable tax treatment, um, you know sort of uh, at the same time uh, providing jobs, but like. So so few in comparison to you know the the companies of the past that that would have achieved this this high watermark of uh, um, market capitalization right so so there's this confluence of things and then combining it with this uh, this interesting moral discussion around um, around technology and you know whether this is all good for us or not. Um, I, I, I think we're starting to ask more and more of those questions in light of the presidential election, of course, but but also in light of things where we realize that there are algorithms making decisions for us now. And that's been an important point on, on our show. And, you know, whether it's uh, um, algorithms, or software, um, even our hardware, all made by people. People are universally flawed, so so we have this technology, and we're beginning to see some of the some of the flaws in it, uh, and the flaws in the companies that make that. Uh, Dirk, you know, y- you have a skeptical inquiry around a lot of these things. What's what's your your take on on this uh, on this change of mood around our our sort of biggest uh, tech companies here? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways that we could look at. It. I mean, one is is sort of perceptual human nature and we we and I'll, I'll keep it to, to our culture because there's certainly cultural coding here um, you know in, in the United States we like underdogs and we like people who kind of come by their bootstraps and, and pick themselves up and do cool things and so these young tech companies all fit that profile really nicely as they came in and disrupted big old slow companies that um, we didn't see much value in. 
Um, so uh, there, there's been a natural arc where as these companies were rising, people are generally feeling really good about them. They're making our lives better. We're happy because they're new. We identify with them. They become part of our identity in a certain way. And then as they grow and become really powerful, um, that shifts because now, um, you know, there's mix of fear and envy and, um, just discomfort. Um, you know, I mean, to, to use an, an analogy that's maybe, maybe a little more every day. I mean, think about, you know, here in the Boston area, the New England Patriots. When the New England Patriots first surprisingly won the Super Bowl, everybody in America loved them. And as they were successful over a number of years, people still liked them. Like they were sort of forcing themselves to become part of the narrative of football history in a neat way. So yeah, three Super Bowls in four years, fantastic. People love them. Um, but as they keep winning and keep winning and keep winning, it turns. You know, you have the couple scandals, it turns more. Now, you know, they, you know, the joke is nobody outside of Boston likes, not only likes the Patriots, they all want the Patriots to lose more than any other team. And it's, it's a, a product of how we psychologically interact with and juxtapose ourselves with other things. And the tech companies, these tech companies, the GAFA companies, are, you know, they're at their New England Patriots moment of, you know, they have so much success. They're so big. They're doing a lot of, you know, stupid things now, things that make us um, question, you know, where where they're going in the future that we're turning on them pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Um, you know, even just, you know, five years ago, I think the, the mood and the tone was very, very different. Um, so, so that sort of perception, like psychology, um, that's part of it. Another part of it is, look, I mean, these are corporations. They exist to make profits. The tools that they are creating, the services that they offer, the products, these are things that in some utopia that we're not going to reach anytime soon here could be leveraged for incredible good for the human condition. It could really uplevel the quality of our lives in various and sundry ways, both us in the culture who can presently afford to, to the stuff, but also people who currently can't. I mean, it could be rising tides globally in amazing ways. However, these corporations exist to make money. Their goal is to make money. And now that they have beaten their competitors out of markets, their behavior is going to become more and more dysfunctional because it can be, because they don't need to compete and, and compete in better, cleaner, more desirable ways to succeed, now they're going to optimize. They're going to squeeze what they can out. And the people who are going to suffer ostensibly are, you know, their, their lower level employees and consumers and the, the, the societies and countries that, um, that house them. So, I mean, those are just two, you know, two, two quick ones off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very skeptical, both from a perception standpoint and my own, sort of human weaknesses and, and frailties, um, but also from an intellectual perspective of these companies don't have very good places to go. You know, that's we, we don't have as humans a shared sense of the way the world should be. We, we fall, we all have, we all have different conceptions. What is morality? What is right? What is wrong? What is truth? Even within like a small sub community here in the United States, let alone the whole United States, let alone the whole world, we have totally fractured ideas of what's, what 
is the way that things should be. And so it becomes impossible to drive towards some better, you know, better reality because we don't have the same sense of what that better reality is. There's an anthropologist in the 20th century named Claire Graves who did research uh, around the whole world, longitudinal research. And what he discovered was that there, there is a, a predictable um, sort of evolutionary progress and path that happens at a social and societal civilization level, even let's say, um, as well as just t- from the macro all the way down to the micro of the journey of a single individual human. And in these different levels, not everyone continues moving up the levels to get to the higher, more um, evolved, uh, more healthful levels. But if we are evolving and progressing, it is in these very predictable ways. Um, regardless of where we're from, regardless of if it's 20th century or first century, regardless of ethnics, anything, anything. Um, he, he found these patterns that were consistent across all of, you know, all of human, human history from within his ability to study it at least. And the problem is we're, we're all in totally different places, you know, to use some of the language that's built on top of Graves' theories, you know, the, the people who are the real staunch, conservatives who are against, um, you know, things like gay marriage, who are are going to ha- keep their guns because the goddamn Constitution says they can have their guns. You know, those people in, in Graves' conception are at, at a lower evolutionary point than people who are, um, you know, more socially progressive. And even the people now who are, are super social progressives are not operating in sort of an optimal way. They're operating in ways. Um, there's there's a writer Ken Wilber who calls it. Um, I'll get the language wrong, but like the green ceiling that liberals keep hitting their head on the green ceiling. They're not able to get up to the the real levels of of um, enlightenment and and evolution. But so the point I'm making here, in ways that might be a little bit abstract for the purpose of this radio show, is that we are so disjointed as people across our countries, across our cultures, and just across where we are on the evolutionary spectrum of how we function as beings, that getting beyond the hard scrabble, these companies are going to make a profit, they're going to optimize, they're going to squeeze, and they're going to fuck us in the end. There's just no path to get beyond that right now. The the, the story's there. I can tell the story. I could write the the path. But going from theory to reality and implementation there, there's just there's just we're nowhere on that journey and so these these giant tech companies have become these enormous weapons out there um, that are going to do damage you know hither and yon and they're going to be protected by countries that want to profit from them they're going to be protected by their um, board of directors and their shareholders who want to continue to maximize those profits into the future and and away and around we go yeah that's uh an interesting analysis i i always think of this uh as as being you know uh, almost almost like we're we're caught in this uh ever increasing uh cycle where i mean everything around these companies feels accelerated. Um, so if we're looking at another gilded age, right, it, it feels like we're pushing through this stuff uh, quite quickly. Um, and, you know, I, I, I imagine that uh, we'll find out uh, sooner or later where they're, where they're going. Uh, but, but, I mean, these companies are, are relatively young uh, in, in, in terms of uh, 
you know, being what, 10 at most, you know, 12, 15 years old. I mean, Apple's older, right? But sure. the other three are, are certainly very young. So, so the, uh, the speed at which this is, is happening as well, uh, I, th- I think is notable. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life. And go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody. So it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 229 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.